Tomorrow, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tomorrow, only on Disney+. Plus. Well, this is Phil in the blank, so you know you've got Dr. Phil right here, and this is probably, I can tell you before we even start, the favorite episode that I have ever done, and if that upsets all the people that I've had on before... Just hold your water until you hear this episode because you're going to understand why. This is right up my alley with four guys that I have tremendous respect for. You probably know them as the behavioral panel experts. And I'm talking about Scott Roush, Greg Hartley, Mark Bowden, and Chase Hughes. These guys are the absolute body language, nonverbal cue experts. And Scott, I'm going to introduce each of them individually. So this is going to go for a minute and then we're going to talk. But he's a behavior analyst and body language expert. He's been involved in interrogation of terrorists. He's a cognitive neuroscience guy and really is an expert on getting to the truth, spotting deception with criminals he holds multiple certificates in advanced interrogation training and has been trained alongside FBI, Secret Service, U.S. military, DOD. His extensive training and education and practice of nonverbal communication have made him the go-to guy, just expert and consultant to law enforcement as well as heads of companies uh, all over the country, attorneys, executives. They all look to him. He's also a Grammy-nominated producer based in Nashville and has the Nashville Entrepreneur Center where he heads the EC's pitch department and works with startups and new entrepreneurs. His body language Frankenstein presentations and talks have been educating and entertaining audiences nationally and internationally. Greg Hartley is an expert interrogator, and uh, you'll see what I mean when we get into it. He's a human behavior consultant and can speak to special ops, interrogation, terrorists, and criminals. He's worked and has honors with the United States Army. More recently, it has drawn organizations such as the Defense Intelligence Agency, Navy SEALs, federal law enforcement agencies. He's worked with national television. They seek his insights about how to as well as why. He's in Atlanta, Georgia. He's written seven books along with a co-author, Marianne Carnage. Mark Bowden is expert in body language and human behavior and communication, and not just on reading people, but in telling people how to project what they want, to present themselves in a way to build trust and credibility. He was voted the number one body language professional in the world, He's very passionate about giving people the most influential and persuasive communication techniques they need to stand out and win over individuals or audiences, inspiring, energetic, engaging, and really entertaining. He's done a lot of memorable talks. 
TEDx. He's got a great YouTube channel, reaches millions of people. He works for some of the top organizations in the world, Spotify, Dell, Viacom, Toyota, Walmart, Nestle, just all over the place. Chase Hughes is a behavioral science expert. He can speak to persuasion, profiling, nonverbal analysis, and deception detection. You're just not going to get it past him. He's tops in interrogation. He's founder and CEO of Applied Behavior Research and is a leading behavior expert and author of the three-year number one best-selling book on persuasion, influence, and behavior profiling, the Ellipsis Manual. Now, he teaches military units, intelligence organizations. He's also been involved in one of my favorite things, which is jury selection, people reading, human intelligence, and he is also the creator of the Pre-Violence Indicators Index, which is designed to alert personnel to pre-attack behaviors. And this is something that really saves lives. He attended a military academy before joining the Navy in 98. He now lives in Virginia Beach, but he's got Texas roots, so that makes him near and dear to my heart. In other words, we're talking to the best of the best. Gentlemen, thank you for talking to me on Fill in the Blanks today. Thanks, Thanks for having us on. Yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah, really excited. Pleasure. Listen, in this day and time where we have got so many people talking from so many platforms and people struggling to figure out who to believe, what to believe, how to unspin everything that's being thrown at them, it's never been more important for people to develop their own skill set in trying to untangle what isn't being said or the motivation behind what is being said. You guys have never been, in my opinion, more relevant than you are today. What do you think? Oh, yeah, I think that's totally true. Much. Yeah, I think yeah. that's totally true simply because there is so much media coming at people and they're being informed how to think so often that I think what we do is help people suspend their judgment quite a bit, help them think a little bit more clearly. We enjoy thinking about human behavior. We think about how we're being communicated to, and we just want to untangle that a little bit for people so they can really think a lot more clearly and not be misled unless they really want to be misled. And sometimes we do want to be misled. Sometimes it's it's fun to join in with a story that might not be accurate. But we want to make sure less people are, are misled by what they see. That's what I'd say about it. It seems like we don't value critical thinking as much as we used to because I know Ben Shapiro, and he's a friend of mine, not because of his political beliefs. He's just a friend of mine. Whether you're conservative or liberal, doesn't matter, but they had to bring in $600,000 worth of additional security in order for him to speak at Berkeley University. And when I was in school, you sought out people that were different than your mindset so you could be challenged and could examine. But it seems like in this day and time with the cancel culture and people being so polarized, we don't want to hear other points of view. We don't value critical thinking. And so it's like we only want to talk to people that think like we do. And that's why it seems so important 
for these communication skills to be nurtured? I don't know. Well, social media for me has made a big mess of America and a big mess of culture because what happens is I can have some opinion and it might be way out in left field. And I get to only talk to people who think like I do and I can eliminate them with a click of a button or hide them. And then just listen to your point in echo chamber, echo chamber, echo chamber. And then that becomes really dangerous when I walk out on the street and assume that I can still do the same thing. And those clashes occur. And I think it's the most dangerous time we've lived in because of that very reason. And, you know, another reason that our channel is, I think, gained some popularity. Some people are there to do some lie detection. I'm going to learn how to spot when somebody's not telling the truth. But when we're reading other people, especially in today's time, some empathy always comes with that. We're learning to see what somebody's feeling on the inside by looking at the outside. So I think there's some empathy that gets injected into the situation there. Well, here's one of my concerns, and you guys tell me what you think about this. Only 20% of the people, at least in America, and this may hold true for the world, are on Twitter. And 10% of those on Twitter post 80% of the messages. That means we've got a very small group of people driving the narrative on the biggest social media platforms, but yet then it gets picked up by the media and pushed out to the masses. So we have a highly vocal minority driving messages and the narrative. And of course, Trump has mastered the Twitter messages and it gets picked up by the media, and people don't fact check, people don't wonder where things come from. Critical thinking just seems to have been suspended with social media. Well, I would agree with you there in that what you need as a leader in order to cut through is a strong, clear message and repetition, but not necessarily a good message or the right message or a well-thought-out message. I would say that, that leaders need to be followable first of all. And we do have you know, a possibility out there where anybody can become a leader if they use the right channels and they are repetitive and forceful about what they say. They can be seen as a leadership voice. Now, many of us might say, we don't think they have the right attitude or they're not saying the right thing, but they're certainly cutting through because they understand how to communicate as a leader, which is clear, concise, consistent, not necessarily ever right. Well, we also take away the benefit or the the advantage of having a backbone and standing up for something and believing in it. If that culture, whichever side you're on, it doesn't matter. If the person who is advocating something with a backbone is punished, you do away with people who will stand up for what is right or what makes sense and what is critical thinking. I think that's the number one failure of our culture right now. If you have a strong backbone and you make a point, you can, you can be eliminated as a result of that. Well, and that does happen. I mean, you certainly see it in Hollywood. If you have someone out here in a very liberal community, and Hollywood's a very small town and it's very liberal, and if you have someone out here that takes a conservative standpoint, their career can be over in a week. They're just not employable anymore. They're not included anymore. And they're blacklisted in a fast, fast hurry. And so it's... Again, to me, it just seems like people are just kind of becoming sheep and what used to be a inclusive, everybody can have their own opinion, seems to have gone out the window and people have stopped evaluating the messages. So I guess my first question to you guys, and 
I'll ask it very generally and then start kind of narrowing down. And I ask this because I've gotten asked this question a lot. Is it really possible for the average person that might follow you guys on your channel, study some of the videos that you have up? And guys, listeners, viewers, if you haven't, the videos that are up, some of the training videos, the informational videos, you can't look away. You'll be up till 3.30 in the morning saying, why did I start watching this video? Damn it. But can the average person really develop a skill set to be able to determine whether somebody is lying, telling the truth, spinning yarns, manipulating the situation, whether they're dealing with a narcissist, sociopath, et cetera, et cetera. Is it possible for the average person with some of the training and techniques be able to discern when they're talking to someone like that? Yes. That, that's, the, the thing about our, what we're doing on our channel is we talk about not only what we're seeing, but we talk about the research where it comes from. So that person, as they're listening, they'll hear us talk about Ekman. They'll hear us talk about Pease. They'll hear us talk about Joe Navarro. They'll hear us talk about all these people they can go. And all they have to do is throw them in, in the Goog and Google and, and start reading about them. And they'll see where this research is that, that, that we're talking about comes from. And especially in some of the, um, from the, from a neurological standpoint, when we talk about some of the things we see, why someone breaks eye contact or what happens when someone lies, what's going on in the brain. People, some people find that fascinating. And we talk about where we get that information. So the person who's just beginning in body or to, beginning to or finding an interest in human behavior can watch these things, can watch what we're talking about. And not only can they learn what we're, since we're coming from four different angles of something uh, about a subject, they learn from four different ways. So that's one of the, the main things that's different about it. And as they watch these things, they'll see not only in real time what we're watching or, or, or how we feel about it or what we're seeing, but they can also go and write stuff down and learn where we're getting this information. That's the most important part is the, is the educational part. Although we're not coming across as an educational, we're right. just goofing off, to be honest with you, the whole time. If I could add one thing to that, what we do is, humans, anything we do is a process. Everything we do is a process. We don't have the capability to do anything other than that. And we try to take a simplistic base row of blocks, give you that, and then build on top of it over time. Now, we'll throw a lot of high-end things, and Chase will talk a lot about academia, and Scott will talk a lot about, about neurobiology, but there's a lot of basic stuff there. We were designed to read a lot of this, and we just turned it off. We try to wake it up again. Ladies and gentlemen. What are you doing? What do you mean? I'm just keep our, it simple. I'm making the promo. Just keep it simple. Just say, hey, we're the Brav Bros, two guys that talk about Bravo. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're the Brav Bros. No. Oh. Dude, stop with the voice. Just the vo keep it simple. I've seen promos on TV, dude. This is how you get the fans engaged. This is how you get listeners. We're trying to get listeners here. If we just say, oh, we're two dudes that talk about Bravo, people are going to get tired of it already. We need some oomph. All right, then fine. Let's try to do it with your voice. Brav Bros. Good job. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase.
Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Yeah, well, let's talk about that a little bit because there are so many myths out there that mislead people. I mean, they get some of this pop psych where, you know, somebody's lying if they're looking up to the left or right or, you know, blah, 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 blah. But there are some true indicators. And I always tell people that, you know, first off, you can't read anybody if you don't have a baseline. You have to look at everything in terms of clusters and circumstance. Nothing means anything in isolation. But if you have a baseline on blink rate or whatever, where you can look at departures, there are some things that people can look at to determine whether somebody is very likely lying, trying to misdirect or whatever. Let's give some examples to people so they have an idea of what we're talking about. There are two different things, and I think sometimes people don't divide these things at least the way I do. And that is, it's one thing to say determining if somebody is lying, that's category one, but then getting to what is true is category two. And those are two different things. One is, are they lying? And then two, what is the truth? And that's a whole different category. And you guys deal effectively between the four of you with both. So can we talk about some things that people can think about to look for in terms of whether somebody is lying or whether they're not? One of, the, one of the first things you're going to look for is are the differences in comfort and discomfort. That's that's basically the bottom line there. And when you see someone going from comfort to discomfort, you're going to see things. We're all, we'll all cover different things about this, but I'll, I'll cover the adapters on this. And so what you'll see is that person who's becoming uncomfortable, as they try to get rid of some of this built-up stress and or tension, they'll start doing little things like, like this with their hand or they'll chew on their mouth, or they may, just for a second, push their lips together, not in, in the disappearing lips as, you know, or, or stress mouth, but you'll see things that they'll move their shoulders a little bit to try to almost massage themselves or they will massage themselves. You'll see them push on their face, facial denting. And these things get rid of that built up stress or tension. That's one of the first things I think out of the baseline we all start looking for. I'll take it a different path, verbal and vocal cues. A person who tries to negotiate the question or who tries to condition the question or takes longer to get to yes or no, that's a good indicator that something is wrong. If they normally say yes or no, you ask them a complex question, they ramble before they say yes or no. That's distancing, verbal distancing. That's a great indicator. There are places where people hide time. I taught resistance interrogation and a good portion of it's tied to that. Things like saying, and then. It means I just jump over a period of time. Doesn't mean they're lying. It means that there's an opportunity for a lie there, an opportunity to miss something. And then word choice changes, how the sentence is structured. There's a ton of things in there we can teach, and we do try to walk on the show. And then the sound of their voice, cadence changes. If something blips, it's an indicator. You should pay attention when something changes because something's changing inside their little knot, and that's what's going on. Let me take it in this direction. So there are parts of your body that are probably more vulnerable than others. If you think about the carotid arteries, the windpipe, here and just under the armpits here and around the ribs here. They're not well protected. There's some delicate organs there that if they get damaged, you're probably in big trouble. So you notice when people start getting uncomfortable about what they're saying, you might see the chin 
drop in. We call that turtling because they're actually protecting this carotid artery and windpipe there. You'll see them tuck in here so they can't get attacked under here. Now, of course, we know, they know they're not being attacked by an actual physical object, but their instinct doesn't know that. Their instinct is just under threat and pressure, and it shows up as they protect some of those delicate organs. Chase, you've probably got another way you can take this. Yeah, and, and please keep in mind that there's no such thing as deceptive body language. What we're looking for is changes to baseline and things that indicate stress or fear. But And a lot of this stuff is very research-based, and I'll just give one really good one that I see very regularly, that the less pronouns a person uses in a statement or a response to a question, the more likely it is to be deceptive. And second, if, if they pause longer than they normally do in that conversation, then that's also very solidly backed by research, both of those things. Okay, give us an example of a statement that would use less pronouns and would cause you to red flag that statement. Sure. So if I ask somebody, what did you guys do after you left the office Wednesday? And he says, wrapped up about 5.30, went to the store, picked up some cigarettes, went to the club, had about 17 beers, went home, played the Xbox for about 15 hours, and went to bed. So that has zero pronouns in it. Okay, so you're saying that there's less personalization of the statement. They don't want to own the statement or be part of or own the actions. They're distancing from the actions. That's one of the theories. It's that and it sounds more technical language. So like if you read the instruction manual for a dishwasher, there's no pronouns in it. So right. that, that's the secondary theory for that. Well, and the other one that you'll notice is lack of illustrators, not using your hands to make your points, not using any kind of illustrator, sitting dead still. I see it on your show when guys are trying to get past something and their hands don't rise, they don't start talking, or they're not using their face to punctuate because they're not really telling you anything. They're just using words. Here's another one. Here's another one you'll, you'll get is that uh, the voice, let's just say there are two types of way the voice could go. There's more, but let's just say there's two. Upward inflection, which I'm doing with you right now, which kind of sounds like though I'm making statements, uh, they sound like questions, or downward inflection, which I'm doing right now. I would suggest if you're stating something that you believe actually happened, there'll be more instructional, be more, this is what happened, this is how it was. If I want to get your buy-in, then you'll hear this little upward inflection at the end to try and bring you along. Are you going with me? Is this okay? And you might even see some eyebrow raise with that to see whether you'll do an eyebrow raise as well, whether you'll buy into this story with me. Scott, you got something to say on this. Yeah. Well, one thing that I talk about a lot is loping. And that's something I coined because when someone is, is giving you information, they'll just, and it's true, they should they just talk and just kind of lope along, you know, and just talking about it. When they come to a part where they may be becoming deceptive or something isn't right there, they go back up into their head into internal dialogue, you'll see that loping stop. And it's like the horse is waiting to, to jump over a creek or to walk around something. There's problems there. So the same thing goes for the brain. As you talk and go forward, you're just sort of loping. And if the conversation gets to where it starts doing one of these things as you're moving along, then, then there's internal conversation most likely going on up there that lets you know they're either... Um, editing what they're getting ready to say, or they're making something up, something's up with that. So that's a, 
when I'm training uh, people for voir dire, that's one of the things we look for. Or I have them, uh, I have them look for is that when someone's talking is telling their story, you ask them specific questions that the, the different uh, members of the, the possible jury, as you talk to them, how are they talking? Who who feels good about themselves? Who's confident? Who's not confident? Who can be controlled? Who can't be controlled? Those types of things. So that's when you want to look for loping, is when you ask a question, see if it just keeps flowing along like that. If it stops or it starts jiggling around, something's up. Yeah, two of the things that I look for that jump out at me a lot are verbal things like what I call convincing statements. If I ask somebody straight up, did you steal the petty cash? And the answer back is, look, I'm an honest person. Ask anybody here. I give more money than was stolen every year to the charity fund. It's like they're not answering the question they're just giving me all of these Barnum statements about right. what a good person they are, but they're not really answering the question. And I also watch for what I call exclusion qualifiers, like if they start putting in words like basically or for the most part or fundamentally or most often – Instead of just answering the question, well, like basically we went here. Well, for the most part, then I start really getting nervous about what they're telling me because they're starting to qualify and try to change or as what you guys call negotiating the questions. Those are two big red flags for me that jump out from a just a personality standpoint. And it's like, well, to be honest with you, anytime I hear that, whatever's coming out of their mouth next yeah. is going to be a damn lie. Well, you get a lot more than a motorcycle cop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, yeah, Greg, Greg, talk about that. Talk about the push pull. Yeah, so push pull words. Anytime someone says honestly or to be a hundred percent honest, those kinds of things. Well, that's a useless word that means that you're hedging the hell out of whatever you're talking about, and it means that I need to negotiate and start cutting and slicing. Once you get someone saying those words, it just gives them more time to think. They're filler words. But it's a push-pull word. You'll run into that all the time. Most good interrogators will take that and run to the extreme, force the person to pull back, and they'll give you information in the process. There was a great one that came up, Dr. Phil, in the, in the episode that we did together with Tarek, where he said, not per se. Not right. per se. Oh, I love the way it turned yeah. out. Yeah. Up on that one. Yeah. <laughs> so you're a lawyer, not per se? Yeah, I love that yeah. one. It was beautiful. That was good. That was good. I taught interrogation for a lot of years, and I said that's some of the best interrogation I'd seen in a while when you had him on the grid there. Yeah, yeah that was well, good. Well, I, I tell you, that guy was something else, wasn't he? Yeah. He was. So you've, oh, never, yeah. you've never done any, any interrogation training, Dr. Phil? You've never? I've done some, and I've done some with law enforcement. And the thing that I worry about sometimes with particularly inexperienced detectives is they do – too much talking and not enough listening yeah. because there's nothing like a pregnant pause to get people to give you more information than they wanted to. And if I truly believe that somebody is guilty of committing some infraction, I am a big one for never letting them deny it once I start interrogating them, because I never want them to not have a face-saving way out of it. And once they say, I didn't do it, 
I'll stop them from that if I have to put my hand over their mouth. I mean, even just calling out their name like, Bob, hang on just a second. I don't want them to deny it, to take a straight up bold denial because it's hard for them to backtrack from that once they've taken that position. I would much rather spend time talking about what happened, trying to trivialize it, create a short-term time frame, be empathetic and understanding, and get them to give me some piece of it rather than a straight-up bold denial. I find it much harder to get them to backtrack from that and make a confession than if they don't make that kind of denial. I'm a strong believer in that, and I'm a strong believer that nobody wants to confess in a crowd. I never like to interrogate somebody with somebody else in the room. It's a trust issue at some point. And the, the, all good confessions that are real and true come from a trust. you got to get them to that point that they feel safe. And then all that body language with the chin dropping and a blossoming of body language works. Yeah. And that's one of the stock lines that I teach is, Greg, I know that's really important to you. And I promise you we're going to get to that. But I'm just going to ask you a couple more things here. And, and it just kind of goes away. It works most of the time. It does. With the case that we worked on together on the show, you may have noticed when he made some what he thought were kind of throwaway confessions <laughs> on trivial stuff. I just said, you know, thank you for that. Now let's talk about something else. I never take the first confession because if they give you that, there's something else behind it. So I just thanked him for that. I didn't even slow down. I just kept on going. And you know, before long, he was saying, well, you know, I've got mental problems. And you know, he started excusing his behavior instead of denying or defending it. Yeah. Which I thought was yeah. interesting. I, I think it's important to never take the first admission because if they give you that, they got some more behind it. I've I found that to always be the truth. What about you guys? Well, yeah, well, don't, yeah. Accept, don't accept the presenting problem. You want, right. you want the problem. You want the thing underneath that. You want the driver, not the thing that's really presenting there. And that's, that's the case, I think, for a really good interview, is that the first thing they'll offer is, is something that might be okay socially or a little bit off socially. But what I always want to know is what's driving that expression? What's really behind all of this? So, yeah, I might, I might, I might accept the idea that they first put forward and go, oh, okay. And then I might go, and what else? And just leave it at that. And then, as you say, go deadly quiet. Just say, and what else? And fall silent, and they will fill the gap. Because there's there's a social norm that says, well, somebody's got to speak. And I tell you, it's not going to be me, so it's going to be them. They will fill the gap with with something, and that's that's how I dig. And what is what is well, everybody quite else often, got? Quite often, when quite often when that happens, you'll see once you pause and you just keep looking at it, and they'll say something. That's when you really want to wait, because once they say something and you keep looking at them, that 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 uncomfortable thing that climbs in the room is so horrible for them. They just want to keep talking to add qualifiers to what they just said, and they just dig a hole. I usually just say, "Well, everybody's done." something like that. That's not why we're here. And that's not a big deal. And I'll just jump right over it. Well, I love to let people talk and spill source leads as we refer to them in interrogation and they, they'll give you something else. But if you're not careful and you let them confess, they'll do that chaff and redirect. They're just dumping information out and hoping you pick up something and then they'll run you to ground again. So it's a waste of your time. Yeah, it's a really
if I've got a fair amount of evidence about it, there's a point at which I'll definitely say to them, look, we know that you did it. What I really need help with is why. Mm-hmm. My favorite That's word. what I really want to help with. And I really try to make it where we're in this together. Look, we're going to work this out, and I really need your help here. Look, I know what happened. What I don't know is why. And if you can help me with that, I think we can really move this along. And I am astounded at how people respond to that once you have a bit of a trust relationship but I'm always careful to not ever make a promise on something I can't deliver. You don't have to. It's just a matter of saying, look, I think we can really move this along, but I'm not interested in what. I know what. I'm interested in why. Why did you do it? Well, the why is a more interesting idea for the brain. The brain gets more excited around the why. The, The what, that's just data. That's just detail. So the brain doesn't get super excited around that. But the moment you ask another human being, so, you know, why is that? And and, and also, like, what does that say about you? If you can get somebody to self-reflect, they'll start telling you all kinds of really quite deep stuff around what drives them because the brain really likes to do that stuff. It's more fascinated by the whys and the self-reflections rather than the the what of it. So I just think it's a why is just a more fascinating question all round and can eventually lead you to if somebody did something or not. You'll get the data in the end, but through a way more fascinating question. Yeah, and it I gives think. them a chance where they feel like they can sell you now. I can sell you on why. I can justify. We can rationalize this. I can sell you. I know I can. We're talking about why now. You'll understand me, and we'll get this behind us. It, it puts you on the path to, the, it, to a confession. I mean, it puts you right on the path, because once you get it out of the way that you know what's happened, everything shows you did this. So what I'm trying to figure out here, and I always, I can always say, I'm not, look, I'm not a cop, man. I'm just here to talk to you about this and find out, let's find out, let's get the bottom of it, find out what's going on, see if we can get it fixed. And then so you talk about why it happened there. You're automatically moving from here over to, oops, over to here. And they're on their way to confession. They're on confession path at that point. And I've written seven books on body language and behavior, and I don't care as much about the body language as I do the behavior. The, be, the, the body language is what get, brought me to the dance so I could do the behavior piece. Love that part. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'd say yeah. the same. What I'm fascinated with is ultimately why people do what they do. It's the why. That's that's the that's the bit that you kind of go, why on earth did they do that? Why did that? I mean, with with the episode that we all did together, the big question that that people I know were coming up with would go, they were just going, why did he decide to go on the show? Why is that? Why would anybody do that? And I was saying, well, yeah, for you, you're not of his mindset. You can't fathom it. For him, it makes total sense total sense to say i'll take a lie detector test i'll show up on the show that and 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 to many of the rest of us it's unfathomable and people are extraordinary and i think that's why we're all in this is that people are just extraordinary and fascinating yeah it's astounding to me i really wonder sometimes what people's reasoning is in coming on the show when they know what they've done, they know it, I guess, but they do. It's a puzzle to me. I know there's a big piece of exhibitionism there, but somewhere in there, they got to say, this can't be a good idea. 
Yeah, I often wonder how much Maslow's tied up in that because this person, everybody around them already knows they've done something stupid, but now they're famous and done something stupid is how they probably yeah. feel. That's got to be something like that, differentiating. I think there has to be some naivety there sometimes as well. I think that there, there'll be some people that you'll have on the show that kind of go, oh, I think I can beat Dr. Phil. I don't <laughs> think he will fathom me at all. I don't reckon, yeah, this guy's new to the game. He'll never be able to see past me. I think some of it goes back to psychopathy because they want as much attention as they can possibly get. And it doesn't bother them if it goes wrong because they don't have those feelings. Their, their brain isn't set up as incapable of feeling that, I wonder what people are going to, how they're going to feel about me. This should feel no weird. Fear. It wasn't feel weird or, or, or bad to them because they have no fear of, of it going sideways on them. That's what we saw in Tarek. When you told him that, that his, uh, we all, I think we all have the same feelings about lie detector tests, you know, the polygraph. But I think when you told him that, that we saw him, com we just completely stay almost the same at that point. We saw no expression change. We saw nothing. That's why I was going down the road with that, that, he, that under my impression was that he was a psychopath. I'm sitting there thinking, have you never seen the show? Have you, have you, what the hell? Is this your first time? Uh, you know I'm going to ask follow-up questions. You paddled him for 30 minutes, and he still, then when we came in, he was still stupid enough to do the same thing again. Yeah. So yeah, what's, what's your opinion after 19 seasons? What do you think is the reason that some of these people yeah. did this? You know, I really think that there is a certain personality type that is a malignant narcissist that there is psychopathy that believes they can actually come on and sell what they're selling to enough people back home in their hometown that they will come on there and convince people that they are victims, that they're telling the truth, they don't read the room, they don't have enough insight, and they don't have anybody in their circle that ask them the hard questions before they get there. And I learned a long time ago, when I was in the litigation arena, I had so many people that would come to me and say, I want to file this lawsuit. And my first comment would be, okay, great. Let's sit down and figure out how you can wind up being a defendant. That's the first thing I always said. Great. You want to do that? Fine. But let's sit down and figure out how you can wind up being the one writing the check how you can wind up getting countersued, be the defendant, and this goes sideways on you. And your story goes a hell of a lot better when you're the only one telling it in a conference room. So let me play devil's advocate here and make sure you want to do this. And I have to say, 80% of the time when we were finished, they didn't think it was such a good idea. <laughs> And these were intelligent CEOs of Fortune 500 companies that when they had all of their people telling them everything that had gone on, but then you sit down and start to pick it apart, they go, yeah, well, I make money manufacturing or distributing or whatever. I'm not going to make money in the courthouse. And even those people who weren't narcissistic just really had never looked at both sides. And I always said, I don't care how flat you make a pancake, it's got two sides, and we're going to look at the other side. Yeah, so for me, again, Dr. Phil, that comes down to critical thinking. 
But what you're doing there is you're going in the room and you're going, yes, you've got lots of advisors, you've got lots of data, you run a company, but let me just do some just some simple critical thinking with you. And what you're doing there is what I would call perceptual positioning. You're going, so at the moment, you're looking at it from the position of, I'm the person going to sue. Let's just look at it from the position of, you could be the person who's being sued. Let's just look at it that way. And most people don't have that, that, that in their life. Most people in their general day, or even especially under crisis, they don't have somebody coming up to them and going, let's have a look at this in a different way. There are multiple aspects to this. And I think that's what we try and do in our show is to go, look, there are many ways of looking at this. You may think this crime has been solved. You may think you know this person is a liar or they're telling the truth. Let's have four people who go, let's us have a look at it. Let's do some critical thinking. And then you can think again and maybe come up with another idea about this or stick or stick with the idea that you had, if you like. But you will have done some critical thinking if you spend a bit of time with us. Well, Mark, the funny one in those, those are the ones we get the most feedback from. Both positive and negative are ones where people have already made up their mind. Things like Amanda Knox and those we, or the McCann, the, uh, the McCanns, those people we get just beaten up by both sides because somebody has already made up their mind with a piece of information. And once it goes down that path enough times, it's tough for them to change their mind. And I think your point about CEOs, if people around them are feeding them the wrong information or not being critical, then they, of course, think, hey, I've got this great idea. And that's a key role, to be able to challenge them. Next week on part two of using body language and nonverbal cues to get to the truth. I taught my boys to be situationally aware. My son Jordan just got off tour. He opened up for the Jonas Brothers. I went to some of his shows. There's like 25,000 people in American Airlines Arena. He's got security around him getting him in and out because they're just going insane. It scares me to death, and I ask him, how are you doing with situational awareness?